Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So today, I want to talk to you about one of the most important things you have, if indeed you have it. So what, that, what might that be? So I want to uh, start with a riddle. And if you're really smart, you'll know the answer to the riddle. Either that or you're a reader. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, and grinds hard stones to meal. Slays kings, ruins towns, and beats high mountains down. Anybody know the answer? Time. You must have. You must be Hobbit. You must be a Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, that's from the Hobbit, actually. You see, that's from the Hobbit. So remember, you're supposed to read that for me, right? <laughs> yes. You know, time is one of those things that we just don't know what to do very much with. We don't know how to deal with it. And so what we do is we change everything that time is to be about into what space is, into space, if you will. Everything has to have a shape. And I want you to stay with me in this sermon because we may get a little esoteric today. Uh, but it's, I think there's a really important message here that the Lord was giving me this week. Time is something that is very difficult for us to wrap our hands around it. And so what we do is we shape space and, in fact, use it as a way of measuring our time. You know, I went on a website, to talk, one of these Einsteinian websites, and, and, of course, they've already shaped time and they know the very shape of time. How in the world is that possible that time would have particular shape. And yet, I could have shown you the diagram. I decided not to bother you because after all it was puzzling me. So I couldn't uh, subject you to that. Instead, let me quote something to you from Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The, uh, the Sabbath, which I recommend that anyone who wants to be serious about their observance of the Sabbath should read. He says, indeed, we know what to do with space, but we do not know what to do about time, except to make it subservient to space. Most of us seem to labor for the sake of things of space. As a result, we suffer from a deeply rooted dread of time and stand aghast when compelled to look into its face. Time to us is sarcasm, a slick, treacherous monster with a jaw like a furnace incinerating every moment of our lives. Shrinking, therefore, from facing time, we escape to the shelter of things of space, right? A furnace incinerating every moment of time, slays kings, ruins towns, and beats high mountains down. They're so afraid of it. 
And so we hide in the things of space. We accumulate. Remember, you know the, you know the story. He who dies with the most toys wins. That kind of thing. But that's not true either. Because without un- a true understanding, a true experience of time, we wind up with absolutely nothing. Let me tell you a story so that you understand this a little more clearly. There's no escape, especially not in the things of space. There's a story told of a rich, generous, pious Jew who at the time of his death left two notes along with his wills for his children, one to be opened on the day of his death and the other immediately after his funeral. So on the day he died, his children opened the first note in the, uh, in the envelope. I'm sorry, opened the first note, and in the envelope was a note along with a pair of socks with a request. Please bury me wearing these socks. Seems a simple enough request, yes? So the children rushed to the funeral parlor, and they asked the members of Hever Kadisha, the people who attend the, the bodies of the of dead Jews until they're buried, to put the socks on their father. To their dismay, they refused. And they said, halakha, Jewish law, would not allow a Jew to be buried with any clothing on. And that happens to be true. You don't get buried with any clothing. You're buried in a shroud. You put a shroud over our body, we put us in a plain pine box, and there we go. We even, we even drill holes in the box so that we deteriorate that much quicker. Oh, this is, this is difficult. It says, uh, so the children appealed to a Beit Din, a a rabbinical court. They called for a rabbinical court because they wanted to honor their father's final request. The children appealed to the Beit Din to allow it. But the Beit Din insisted that even for him, even though he was a wonderful man, a pious Jew, generous beyond the fault, the exception could not be made even for him. This was the law of God. He would have to be buried without his socks. So the funeral proceeded the next day. And after the funeral, the children opened the second note. In it, it said, you see, you can't even take a pair of socks. You see, so we labor and labor and labor and labor for the things of space. And you can't take a darn thing with you, not even a pair of socks. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? See, the Lord doesn't want us to, to uh, overemphasize the things of space. God knows what we need. Messiah Yeshua said, your father knows in heaven knows you need all of these things. But if we devote ourselves to him, he'll make sure we have precisely what we need. When Michael was speaking today, he talked, he emphasized the Shemitah a little bit. 
And he mentioned that uh, God was not exactly a pure capitalist. I agree with him entirely. Maybe Bernie Sanders is God. I don't know. Is that, is that No, I doubt it. I doubt it. <clears throat> but uh, enough wisecracking. Instead, God knows that what we need most especially is to follow him. And that when we follow him, we will have everything that we need. But following him requires something of us. It requires of us that we devote this most precious of our commodities, time, to him. You see, I've told this to many people, right? You know, if, I, I can, if you give me your checkbook and your calendar, I'll tell you everything you want to know about yourself. Because these two things are the most precious things we have. And, you know, particularly if I take your, you'll be really mad at me if I steal your time, but if I take your checkbook, you'll really be mad. You know, then you call the cops. Because we're always protecting that space because time eludes us. We can't control it. You know, every time I look in the mirror, I say, wait, wait a minute, uh, you know, I thought I had a whole lot of bushy hair and all this other stuff. Where'd that go? Oh, yeah, oh, right. I knew, see? <laughs> That's right. We can't control it, and it makes us afraid, and so we do things of space in order to retrieve the time. Somehow we're going to preserve it, right? And today, with all of our technology, we can do an even better job, right? I can get surgery, I can get, I can get fitness, I can take a pill, and I can hold off the effects of time. But, brothers and sisters, when the time comes, you will not even have a pair of socks. So what can we do to attain the true meaning of spiritual life. The true meaning, the higher goal of spiritual life is not to amass a wealth of information, as one has put it, or a wealth of things, but to face sacred moments. To cherish those sacred moments in life. Stated another way, the goal is to have a confrontation with God. In, order, in other words, to be with God. You know, we were just, even discussing it this morning. God is not a respecter of time. Time has no meaning for God. We seem to be stuck in it. You know, life goes, starts and then it ends. There's a cycle to it all. But with God, God is timeless. And it is only in union with him that we will be able to experience that same kind of timelessness. But the, the day after day, you know, as we grow older and deteriorate, will not, will not mean anything at all. And in this portion, we're reminded about that. In this Torah portion, we are reminded about that quite specifically. For we're told in Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17, we put 
uh, readings into your, into your packets today, so if you can follow along with the last portion of it. It says three times a year, all your males, and I would say, now this and that's a different society, but today I would say everyone, shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast uh, of unleavened bread or Pesach, at Shavuot, and at Sukkot. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every, every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given to you. You know, we look at that commandment, we say, okay, all right, you know, all right, we got, you know, got to deal with that. But I want you to think about the logistics of it for just a moment. So Pesach uh, starts in Nisan, the 14th day of the month of Nisan, or Abib, as it was called in that time. And uh, you go, so now, it, let's say you live in, you know, Capernaum. It, that means you have to take a, like a one-week walk to get to Jerusalem. <coughs> you gather up all your stuff and you get, you know, and you walk for a week. You get to Jerusalem and you have to stay there for a week. And then you have to <coughs> go home. And that's another week. So that's just a three-week trip. It's not like, uh, you know, now we're going to get in a plane or something like that. And, we, and we're there or jump in a car. And then... Just a few weeks later, you have to turn around and you have to do it again for Shavuot. Hey, wait a minute. You know, hey, this is at the beginning of the harvest. I mean, first one is my a wheat, a barley harvest. Now it's the wheat harvest. Man, you're really cutting into my time here. I'm a, you know, it's an agrarian world. And then before you know it, you have to do it all over again for Sukkot. Boy, you're spending a whole lot of time on the road. Where's all this time supposed to come from? Time comes from the Lord himself. All of it belongs to him. And in these holy days, we're taught about who is in charge of time. Who's in charge of your time? You see? Today... We don't do much of these things. Who controls your time? You see, this is why I'm such a stickler for Shabbat. Because we think we, time belongs to us, and it does not. And so whenever people tell me about, well, I have to do this on Saturday, I have to do, I, I have no empathy, not one smidge of empathy do I have for anybody who feels that what they have to do in their realm of space, of the accumulation of stuff, rather than their appointment with God, will cut no ice with me. So don't even bother giving me your excuse. Tell me you're not going to be here. I'll say, okay, fine. May God forgive you. And it really isn't just about being in this particular area, you know. But I know better than most of you that when we're not together praying together, uh, when we're not organized to have that holy convocation, and somebody tells me, well, I'll just stay home, relax, and pray. Yeah, okay, 
Sure, sure you will. You'll be relaxing and praying at TJ Maxx. Yes, I got it. <laughs> so, let us not, so let's not kid ourselves about those things. Time is the one thing we cannot control, and so God controls our time for us so that it might be used appropriately. See, and we have the example of the things of space. Look what he says. He says, when you appear before me, you shall not appear empty-handed. But rather, every man shall give as he's able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. God says, give me your stuff. I want, when you come, you're also going to bring your stuff with you. And we'll use it together as it ought to be used. If you remember how it's done, it says, You rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons, your daughter, your male and your female servants, the Levite who's in your town, the stranger, the orphan and the widow. You're going to share it with everybody. No one gets left behind. Because that's what stuff is for. Stuff is for sharing with everybody. Not hoarding it. You see the man, this old Jew who knew better, he knew exactly what it was all about. Even though he might have had a lot of stuff, he gave a lot of it away. And in the end, he knew he had to give it all away. Even his socks. To all these wealthy people we have in the world, except for those, there are those exceptional few who are giving it all away. Most of them just hang on to it right to the bitter end. And guess what they find out? That when their time runs out, their stuff ran out too. So what should we be looking to preserve? What should we we be looking for in the higher goal of spiritual life? But that face-to-face encounter with God. That's what it's really all about. On, uh, our tradition tells us that on, you know, tonight, I should say, let me, let me back up, tonight begin, is Rosh Chodesh Elul. And Elul begins that period, that penitential period in the life of the Jewish people, which leads up to Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and finally Yom Kippur. So 40 days after tonight, we will be commemorating Yom Kippur. And our tradition tells us that on this day, Moses ascended the mountain of God for the third time. So he went up the first time to get the Torah, and then God sent him back down with the two tablets of stone because the people were getting crazy down there. And then Moses went back up to ask God to forgive the people in the immediate aftermath of the uh, golden calf incident. And then finally he went up on this day the third time, to complete the redemption of his people, to complete that their, his intercession so that on Yom Kippur they might be forgiven. So what's happening is that beginning tonight we are encountering one of those moments of time. Your time, my time. And for the next... 40 days leading up to Yom Kippur. 
we should be devoting a special amount of our time to the Lord himself. Because one of the most important sacred moments is approaching. When we enter the throne room of God on Yom Kippur. And there remember the atonement that our Messiah made for us. And take no part. Don't take it for granted. Which is so how, how often we do. Take it for granted that the Messiah did what he did. And I can do what I want to do now precisely wrong. No, instead, we are given an opportunity to encounter God all over again. God gave us time, I think, knowing that we would not, we could never be tied permanently to space. You can't take your socks with you. In fact, rarely in in the history of the Jewish people have we occupied space for very long. It's been our our thing to wander through this planet from place to place to place. And even now I keep praying for our people to be able to stay in that space that they have now begun to occupy, but there is no guarantee. If Israel remains unfaithful, He threw us out once before. He threw us out twice before. He can throw us out a third time. It wouldn't shock me. might break my heart, but it wouldn't shock me. So we have to, nothing is certain until the Messiah comes. So space has never been our most precious thing. And so the Jews are charged with guarding time. Judaism is a religion of time. Most especially Shabbat. Vishamru. And you shall guard the Sabbath. That is our work. So even though God has placed his name on a particular place, place we do not always have access to. He has marked out time for us to observe. Times in which we will that we will always have access to if we're willing to synchronize our rhythms with his. So I want to encourage you as we enter the month of Elul to begin to synchronize your, your clock, your time with God so that when we come together on Yom Kippur we will all be there together with God let's give our things of space in exchange for time with him Amen